This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 28th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The FDA's slow roll to approve contraceptives in the 1960s probably substantially delayed women entering the labor force. But the ways in which the FDA holds up access to new drugs occurs in many contexts. And improving American health care necessarily means giving Americans greater control over their own health. Michael Cannon is author of the new book, Recovery. It's available now. So Claudia Golden, an economist, won the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2023, in large part because of her work on what has affected women's outcomes in the labor market and what has helped women achieve greater economic equality with men. And it turns out that one of those things was the introduction of reliable contraceptives. Reliable contraceptives allowed women to delay childbearing and to remain in school, pursue more education, and spend more time in the workforce accumulating human capital. And therefore, contraception allowed them to narrow the wage gap that exists between men and women. There's a public policy story here, and the news is not very good, which is that when the government set itself in the position of deciding what drugs could and could not come onto the market when Congress created the FDA and then steadily increased the regulations that the FDA enforces that create barriers to entry for new medical products to come onto the market, what that ended up doing was it ended up inhibiting women's ability to achieve economic gains and to achieve greater economic equality with men by delaying the introduction of contraception and then once the FDA did allow those drugs onto the market, making them much harder for women to receive and much more expensive as well. So in terms of the impact on women's participation in the labor market, it's hard to overstate that. It really is. And it's something that persists to this day. The FDA approved the first daily use oral contraceptive back in 1960. That was 63 years ago. And even though oral daily use oral contraceptives, the pill, is available in 100 countries around the world without a prescription, the FDA, still, with only one exception that was very recent, uh, the FDA still requires all women who want to use the pill to get a prescription from a doctor or from some other clinician if your state allows it. That is a significant barrier to access that affects whether women can get the pill, afford the pill. It affects adherence to if they're trying to use the pill. And those, because the FDA creates these unnecessary barriers to women accessing the pill, that is still likely having an influence on women's economic outcomes and having an impact on whether they are achieving economic equality with men. So in terms of taking big steps to help women in particular assert greater control over their own health care, what do you recommend? Well, when we talk about the FDA, and in my latest book, Recovery, I lay out the case against the FDA in this way. The FDA can go wrong in one of two ways. It can either let an unsafe drug onto the market, or it can erect barriers to new drugs that are so high that very few unsafe drugs get on the market, but 
the barriers are so high that the FDA ends up delaying the introduction or suppressing the introduction of helpful drugs so that patients end up suffering that way. And all of the research, as I explain in the book, all of the research that economists have done show that the FDA is regulating in the zone where the, that second type of error, what we call type two errors, where the FDA is blocking access to beneficial medicines, vastly outnumber the type one errors where unsafe drugs are get, making it onto the market. And the FDA would save more lives and improve health more if it regulated less. We usually talk about, we tell this story in terms of the impact that FDA regulation has on health. And it's natural that we should do so because that's what medicines are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be improving people's health. In the case of contraception, though, there's an additional element, which is that it is affecting labor market outcomes for women, that it is affecting women's equality. It's not just the impact on their... The FDA is not just having a negative impact on women's health, although it may be when it comes to the FDA's regulation of contraceptives. It is also impacting well, women's economic outcomes and economic equality with men because it is making it harder. The FDA is making it harder for women to access this incredibly important medicine that has had such a huge impact on women's economic prospects. Has the FDA given, I mean, it, it seems like it perhaps it should be an apology for not approving more contraceptives to be over the counter. Being the FDA means never having to say you're sorry. The FDA bottles up drugs decade after decade, pricing them out of reach of the American people and suppressing the introduction of drugs. So we don't even know which drugs we have never seen because of the FDA. And even when the FDA does something that virtually everybody agrees was a terrible move that harmed public health, like blocking for weeks or months reliable COVID tests at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, where other countries were approving these things and, and getting them out uh, onto the market so that they could do screening and containment efforts. We couldn't do that in the United States because the FDA blocked all of the effective COVID tests. Even when the FDA does something like that, the agency never has to apologize. They just say, well, we were just thinking of the public and we had very high standards when really it turns out that their standards are not high. They're actually very low and self-serving. But no, the FDA never apologizes for these sorts of things. And frankly, I don't need an apology. It would be nice. Uh, I don't think that that's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is just to get rid of these barriers to beneficial medicines, including both the pre-market approval requirements that the FDA imposes on new drugs, but also prescription requirements because the FDA imposes so many unnecessary prescription requirements that then end up blocking access to necessary medicines. So among the options for women who would like to take advantage of the pill, there is one that is over the counter. That's right. The FDA did recently announce that it was moving the so-called mini pill from prescription-only status to over-the-counter status. Or to be more precise, you know, the FDA is not the final authority on whether something is a prescription drug. The manufacturers can decide to attach a prescription to it. 
So the FDA doesn't get to command them to make it over the counter. What the FDA does is it removes the prescription requirement that it imposes. And the FDA has done that for one form of oral contraception, what we, what we call the mini pill. But there are still many forms of oral contraception out there for which the FDA still requires a prescription. The FDA has similarly removed the prescription requirement for one form of the drug naloxone, which reverses opioid overdoses. It still requires prescriptions for other forms of that drug. And there really, not only is there no justification for those prescription requirements for those particular drugs, there's also no justification for the FDA to have this power because the examples of naloxone and contraceptives are really emblematic of how the FDA abuses and misuses this power, requiring prescriptions where they are not necessary, where other countries do not require them, and in a way that ends up harming people's health rather than improving people's health. I mentioned before that there are more than 100 countries around the world where women can buy oral contraceptives without a prescription. If there is someone willing to sell them those medicines and women want to buy them, it is immoral. It is wrong. It is a violation of their healthcare rights for the government to stand in the way and say, no, you can't do that unless you get approval from a government-appointed gatekeeper like a doctor. On top of that, when the FDA makes these decisions, it ends up harming people's health, in this case, women, by denying them access to medicines that they need. The pill has been available for, in the United States for more than six decades. Women know how to use the pill. When they self-administer, studies have shown they are more cautious about using the pill than physicians are when they write prescriptions. So you, so you can't say that women are going to make careless decisions. The physicians are making less careful decisions than women are when it comes to this medication. So all of the rationales that the FDA might use to justify the prescription requirements that it continues to impose on these drugs just don't hold water. The only reasons I can think of why anyone would still want these pills to carry prescription requirements is bureaucratic self-interest and lethargy on the part of the FDA. And one thing we've seen is that prices rose for hormones and oral contraceptives after the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare required full coverage of all FDA-approved prescription contraceptives. And they rose a lot faster than prices for over-the-counter medications, which basically only rose with inflation. They didn't rise in real terms. So one wonders if one of the reasons that the FDA is not removing the prescription requirements from these drugs is that the drug manufacturers want those requirements in place because that means that insurance will continue to cover these medications and the drug companies will continue to get higher prices than they would in a competitive market. Michael Cannon is author of the new Cato book, Recovery. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening.